Good morning. It's good to have you here with us this morning. My name is Nathan Hinkle, and I'm the campus pastor here. So we have been over the last several weeks in the book of Romans. All right, so if you're newer with us, let me tell you what we've been doing. We've been encouraging you to be reading through the New Testament letter called Romans. Paul wrote the letter to the Christians in the city of Rome in about 57 AD, about 25 years after Jesus had died and was seen alive again. So Rome in the first century was a brutal place. And so to understand the context, there's several things and pieces of context you want to understand as you're reading Romans. And one of them is that Rome in the first century is a horrible place to live. I mean, there's some nice things about being the most popular, you know, one of the most populated um, you know, cities in, in the world at the time, but there is, it's ravaged by plagues constantly. In this era, there was a, a plague that killed 30,000 Romans, all right, in, in a short period of time. If you can imagine that happened in a place like Cincinnati, everybody would be touched by that intimately, right? It, there was brutal dictators. Um, the, the emperors and the Caesars all had their flair of brutality, but the ones particularly in the mid-first century um, had a flair of brutality. There was high taxes, Okay, Rome was a, was a chaotic place to live, even in the church, okay? Because you had two groups of people that were fighting in the church. That probably blows your mind to think that people in church could fight, right? Right? But it happens, all right? Or it did happen, all right? It happens. The Jewish Christians believed that their special relationship to God and their Jewish laws and their religious laws is what made them close to God. It's what secured their relationship with God. The Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians from the Roman Empire, they're coming into the churches and they're saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. We have a higher social standing than you Jews do, and we're going to lean in on that, and we actually look down on you and your rules. And so there's this clash in the first century church. So Paul writes this letter to the Romans, and one of the bigger themes throughout Romans is Paul is calling for peace. Right? He's calling for peace so that the brothers and sisters in Jesus in the church, Jews and Gentiles, can find peace with each other in their own lives as a community so that peace, God's peace, can be known throughout this brutal and chaotic empire. That the church would be this conduit of peace to a broken and hurting people. By the way, that still happens to be our mission today. That's why Paul wrote Romans, all right? So the problem with the believers in Rome is they, could, they were having a hard time seeing their way forward toward peace. They couldn't quite make it there. They couldn't see it. And, and, and the fun thing about Romans is there's so much that's fun about it, is we have a hard time with that too 2,000 years later. You and I, to see our way towards peace in our life. Because you and I don't have to look very hard at our marriages, at parenting, at relationships, at work, at school, right? We don't have to look very far, things from our past, right? To feel like that our stories, the story of our lives, is woven into this fabric of, of chaos, of disappointment, of hurt, doubt. So I I think we can resonate with our brothers and sisters from two millennia ago, that our stories just feel like they certainly lack peace. 
And this is our big idea for today. Now, on the front of your program, it says, I am not rejected, which is a theme in Romans throughout. But I'm going to have you write something right underneath that, if you would. On the front of your program, you walked in here, write this in there underneath that. I'm going to talk to you today about actually a nuance of that, that's saying that I am not finished. Okay? I am not finished. And what I don't mean is that you, you're not finished. What I mean by that is God's not finished with you. That your story's not over. Right? That the story that God is telling through your life is not done yet. Okay? Now, we all have a story. You don't often think that all of us have this personal story because some of us believe, or some of you think, I've got a story. How many hours do you have for me to tell it? Okay? Some of you feel that way. Some of you don't feel like, I don't have a story. There's nothing that exciting about my life. All right? It doesn't matter everybody's got a story. Some of you think, I'm too young. Maybe there's teenagers in the room, and you're thinking, man, I don't have a story. I'm just kind of figuring things out. You have a story. Some of you are older, and you think, yeah, maybe I've got a story, but it doesn't matter anymore. Wrong. We've all got a story, all right? Because we all have a past. We all have a past full of of experiences, of mistakes, of a lot of joys, okay, of hurts, We've got experiences of a past um, that, that have developed in our hearts this view of who God is or, or who he's not. Okay, so we all have a past, all right? But we all have a future too, all right? We've all got, at least, we at least have the next few hours, all right? That at least the next few minutes have been promised to all of us, all right? Nothing beyond that, but we all have a, some future. As long as we have breath, we have a future of some kind. Good things are coming for us. And for every single person in this room, there's some very tough things that are coming for us in our future. We have choices to make in the future. Those choices will impact you, but they'll also impact people that you care about. All of that is part of our story, isn't it? And Paul's letter to the Romans, especially Romans 1 through 8, okay, has been sharing with the readers there's this story that, that, that anyone, all right, get, by faith can be saved. That, that God's grace through your faith is what saves you. So Paul's argument is that God's grace, his, the love that he has for you and has shown to you through Jesus that you don't deserve, and if you believe that, if you put your trust in that, that saves you. So Paul's argument in chapters 1 through 8 is that God's story has, has intersected yours. At that moment that Jesus died for you, God's greater story has now intersected the story of your life and mine. There's just, it's been offered to you, this grace, okay? And then, as he launches into 9, and, um, and you kind of see in 10, 11, and 12, then Paul is going to say, so as you now, through faith, begin to walk this path with God, there's this certain way, there's this, these things that God does in your life. He's intersected your story, and now there's these things as you come alongside of him and begin to walk this journey of faith, there's these things that God does in your life, right? So in chapter 9, what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, God has now wants to take your story. Now that he's intersected it, it's not just a one-time event, it's a lifelong thing. Now that he's intersected your story, he wants to reconfigure your story. 
All of us have a past, right? We've all got a present. We've all got a future, experiences, things like that. We've always said, God wants to take those things, your story, and reconfigure it. He wants to give you, here's what he wants to do. He wants to give you and I a new lens through which to view our story. And with that new lens, God wants to do a couple things. He wants to show you that he's faithful, that he can be trusted. He wants to show you that he works in your life, that he actually shows up in the middle of your life, walking right beside you, okay? And he wants to prove to you that he's had a plan all along. That he's got a plan for you to find your way to peace. Now that sounds really good. And the Jewish people had a story too. And Paul in chapter 9 is going to actually turn and begin to just speak to the Jewish Christians in the room, which makes the Roman Christians say, I don't even know what he's talking about, but I'm going to listen because in chapter 10, he's going to begin to turn and talk to the, to the Romans, to the Gentile Christians. But in chapter 9, he's going to talk to the Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians had a story too. It was one that every Jewish man, woman, and child knew. They knew it by heart. This story of God working from 2,000 plus years before. They knew the story of their, in, their ancestry and their heritage. They knew the story of the promises that the Jewish people had from God. They knew it by heart. They knew the story of their special relationship with God. Okay? And they knew that story. So in Romans chapter 9, Paul's going to engage that story and show them that God wants to reconfigure it to show them their way forward to peace. All right? Look at this in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. We at the hub back here, uh, Rich mentioned it in, in the video here. We, the hub is the place you can stop by, blue curtained area. We have free Bibles there. So if you don't have a Bible, we want to put one in your hand, have it. It's, it's a gift to you um, so that you can engage God's word um, on your own. But look at this in Romans 9, chapter 1. This is what Paul says. Is, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. That's some harsh language. Many of you may feel that way. I, I don't know, if you, do you feel that way for your kids? Sometimes I feel like that way for my kids. If my kids just were to know and love Jesus their whole lives, like, would I be willing to say I'm willing to be cut off from God? just so that they would be saved? I mean, that's a depth of love, right? So what Paul is saying, listen, listen to this, this is going to be shocking to his audience, okay? The Jewish people thought they were a sure thing. They just thought that was part of their story, right? They knew what God was up to, and they knew they were on the inside of it. And Paul very quickly is going to begin to deconstruct that idea. Okay? And you see his heart for his people. He loves them. He loves his people. He wants them to experience the fullness of God in their life. He wants to bring them to a place where they experience peace with God and with their Gentile brothers and sisters so that the empire can be changed as well. Right? So he loves them, but he doesn't pull any punches with them. He emphatically says, your ancestry your religious laws, your past religious experiences, 
They are not what save you. They are not what make you right with God. They are not what will bring peace into your life. The stuff in your past, the stuff that makes up your story, as I said, the stuff that makes up your story, it will bring you someplace, but it's not the place that you thought. Okay, and then he's going to tell them where that place is. This is what is exciting about Romans chapter 9. It feels a little laborious. It's a short chapter, but this is the exciting piece of it. Look at verse 4. He says, they are, he's talking about them, Jewish people, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Now, everybody in the room is saying, yeah, see, that's the story we're familiar with. Man, we're in, that we're special because of that. And Paul says, yes, you are. But you were given that privilege so that you could be God's standard bearers of peace to a broken world. God gave you that privilege and that special relationship with him so that you could take the message of real peace and take it out into a hurting and broken world. Okay? Now, as what Paul is trying to construct here out of their pieces of their stories, he said, now the Gentiles get to be part of it too. The non-Jewish people get to be part of that same plan for peace in their lives and in this world. But it's not just the Jews anymore, and it's not because of your religious law. All right? And then he's going to go into these examples for the Jewish people, and this is why if you're Gentile Christians and you don't know the Jewish history well, and, and mostly you wouldn't because you, you wouldn't care, right? Um, that's why the Gentile Christians are going to be sitting there thinking, what is, who are all these people he's talking about? And it's okay. All right, he's going to get to them later. All right? So then Paul launches into to give them some examples of their story. He talks about Abraham. He brings up the fathers of the Jewish faith. He brings up Rebekah and Moses. He even brings up Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, not a Jew at all, but someone God used in order to free the Jewish people from slavery, you know, 1,500 years before that, right? So he brings up all of these stories, and he's all, and he's saying, listen, all along the way through your story, God was preparing for Jesus, Every bit of your story, it wasn't preparing you to have this self-righteousness. It was preparing your life for Jesus. Look what he says in Romans 9. It's a little bit of what I just said. Romans 9, I'm sorry, verse 5. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ, Jesus, himself was an Israelite, uh, Israelite, part of Israel, right? As far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. See, look, everything was leading to Jesus. Every bit of your story was leading to Jesus, right? So in Romans 6, he anticipates their questions, their pushback. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? So that's what the Jewish people are saying. Listen, if, if, if our whole story wasn't what we thought it was, if everything in our past, present, and future wasn't pointing to the thing that we thought it was pointing to, then what's the point? Is our story garbage? 
Is it worthless? Is there even a story to talk about for centuries? Our families and our tradition and our faith have been built on this. Is it worth nothing? Paul says, no. Now listen, listen, church. Paul's saying peace in your life. I mean, I mean real peace that just like wells up from deep within your soul. And peace with God. Peace with your heavenly father who loves you. That's your story. And that's always been part of your story. But it just was coming in a way that you didn't expect it. It doesn't make your story worthless. It makes it that much more powerful. Because the pieces of your story have always been pointing you towards peace. And you just didn't realize it. God's peace, this is, this is Paul's point by bringing up their history, is to say that God's, God's peace for you just shows you how unpredictable and ununiform God works in your life and in ununiform and unpredictable ways. People are like, wait, wait, what? Paul says, yeah. Yeah, you know what this p- points out to your story and to mine just as it did for the Jews is that God works in your life in ununiform, unpredictable ways. You never know where he's going to go next, right? In fact, he, may, he just makes this point really with all these examples that God um, never shows up in the same way twice. You can't guess where he's going. You can't guess how he's going to work next. You can't guess what he's going to do with that thing in your story. Right? You can't know. And, and, and you know, like, like, like Jericho, if you look back in the Old Testament stories, um, how did the walls of the great city of Jericho come crashing down? The Lord said, Joshua, walk around and then blow, you know, this day and then the next day and then blow your trumpets and the walls came crumbling down. He never did that again. They conquered other cities, but they didn't use that strategy. God never showed up in that way again. When God showed up in the life of Gideon, one of the leaders of Israel, Gideon started out with 32,000 men to go against the Midianite army. And God said, no, that's too much. I'm going to pare it down. Do you know how many men that Gideon ended up going against the Midianites with? From 32,000, God pared it down to 300. He never did it that way again. That one time. Now, they defeated other people, but never that way. And he shows up in the New Testament too. There are multiple places where Jesus healed, just as an example, blind people. People who were born blind or had been blinded at some point in their life. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters these blind guys and he just says, hey, do you want to be healed? And they say yes. And he says, okay, you're healed. And they were. Now, he didn't do it again that way, not that we read about. Because in Mark chapter 8, Jesus spits into his own hands and puts his hands on the guy's eyes, and then he can see. Now, in John chapter 9, Jesus encounters some blind, a blind guy. Jesus spits into the dirt, makes some paste out of his saliva and mud, places it on the guy's eyes. Guy goes and washes, then he can see. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but it just goes to show you that God never does the same thing twice. All right, that he's unpredictable and he's ununiform in the story that he's weaving in and out of your life. All right, it's like it, it's like I mean, it, it, I, I likened it to this in my head the other day. I have three kids, and you know, people always say that you can never 
like a, you, you have to like, treat each of them differently, right? Those of you who have kids, you, you know that. And knowing it, I don't know that doing it is always this, the easiest thing, but I know it, all right, that all three of my kids are different. Like there's no uniformity to how I speak to them and how they respond to things. There's complete unpredictability, all right? So I have to learn how to kind of adapt to those things, and I got to approach them all differently. Like Justin, my oldest, is very headstrong, okay? Very headstrong. Uh, Peter, the middle child, classic, is very compassionate, and frankly, easier, if I can say that to you guys. Don't, don't repeat that. They'll be in here the next hour, and I'll deny I ever said it. All right, because I can't say that the second hour, so I'll tell you now. Sydney, the, the, our girl, and the youngest is very driven. I mean, very driven, all right? And they're all very different. So it's very unpredictable. But we get confused in our journey in our relationship with God because we think God should be predictable. That there should be this story that he tells. That God has intersected our life. Let's say, for the sake of the argument, I'm now talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room today. You're, you're a Christian. God's intersected your life through grace. You've accepted it through faith. And we get confused because sometimes we think that God works the same way every time, don't we? Like there's a formula. I go to church. I've prayed about this thing. I've done these certain things. So why don't I feel God showing up in my life? Why don't I see God working more? Because I've done all the right things. Or maybe uh, you don't see value in going to church or prayer or any of those things because you haven't seen them work. But we get stuck because we think we know how, we, we know how God works, okay? And so we say, I've done this and, 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 and I've done that, and we think he works the same way every time, Okay? And we say, well, I followed the pattern, the Christian pattern, right? What's left? Some of us just say, so what's left to do? I'm like ticking all the boxes. Because we think God works the same way every time. We also think we just know how God works, like I said earlier. So we say, there's this picture of my life that I have de- that I designed to live. There's this picture of who I'll date, who I'll marry, how that marriage will work, how many kids I'll have, what their names will be, what kind of children they'll be. There's this image of what my career will look like and how happy I'll be and where I'll live and the relationships I'll have surrounded myself with, these plans and these desires. Now, we will work towards that end, won't we? That's fine. And we'll just invite God along because we believe we're walking with God, those of us who are followers of Jesus, right? Um, He's intersected our life. We're good. And so we say, hey, God, I'm going to chase after this picture of what my life should be like, and you come along and just bless the heck out of it. Right? And we work towards those things. And as long as we're working towards those things and we got good things coming back at us, we think we're doing good. And so we just keep doing those good things. Now it works the other way too. That's why probably some people, that's why some people, probably some in this room, don't have much use for religion or for God or for church for that matter. Because we think we know how God works. Even if we don't know him well, we have a pretty good idea of how he works. All right? So when I screw things up, or when my life doesn't go as I've planned, 
clearly God has kind of withdrawn his favor from me. He's distanced himself from me. So what's the point? If I'm going to say, hey, God, would you, should, you should be, and then you don't, I get it. What is the point? Sleep in on Sundays, keep your money to yourself, and go out to lunch. We like a predictable God who works the same way every time. And when he goes off script, or if he doesn't live up to the hype, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, we just become less interested in what he has to offer, if, if anything at all. So we walk through our spiritual journeys hoping that we figured out this formula for how God works. Don't we? And there are no shoulds with God. You know, we say God, and I've heard myself say this, God should be doing this in my life, or he shouldn't be doing this in my life, right? And when we end up putting all of these shoulds on God, someone once said, we just end up shooting all over ourselves, all right? That's what someone once said, and it, it killed me. But, but it's true. I'm going to get fired for that one. <laughs> There's just a lot of things I'm going to say this hour that I will strike from the record next hour. We'll put that one on the recording for the website, and I'll deny everything. But, but it's true. We put this stuff on God, all of these shoulds on God. And when he doesn't come through, we like a predictable God, right? And there are no formulas with God, okay? He's a person. He's not a system. He's not somebody for you or I to figure out. He operates with originality just like a person would. And he never does it the same way twice. So why should your story or mine look any different? As God is working peace into your life, I'm talking real peace in and out of your life. All right? And, and in that place in Mark chapter 8, where, where Jesus heals the guy when, when he spits into his hands. That was so weird. And, and, and then, of course, he didn't, the guy didn't see it coming. He probably heard that. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, so he, there's another one. So then he puts, it, he puts it on his eyes, right? And if you read that encounter in Mark chapter 8, the guy says, I can kind of see, but I just see people, they look like they're walking around like trees, so Jesus does it again. He spits in his hand and rubs it on the guy's eyes, and then he can see clearly. Now, what happened there? Did Jesus not get it right the first time? Did Jesus not, like, say the right incantation? Did he make a mistake? Was, does Jesus only heal and provide halfway sometimes? No. Jesus is trying to make a point there for this guy. That the clarity that you and I have, that we will gain the clarity the spiritual clarity that you and I will gain for walking this journey comes in time. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. And it never happens the same way twice. That's a journey. With peace and towards more peace. There's this quote from Archbishop Anthony Bloom. It says, The realm of God is dangerous. You must enter into it and not just seek information about it. It's a dangerous place to be. 
And when God crashes into our story, okay, we enter into this new reconfigured realm with God that he starts taking our story and starts weaving a whole different outcome with it. And as we walk that journey, the first thing I want, let me just throw this out to you here real quick, three things. We got to walk that step by step, okay? It's not instant. It's not instant gratification. You and I are, we don't ask the question, the faithless question is how. God, how are you going to do this? We don't ask that question. How is faithless? And it really says, God, I'm not going there until I can see how, why, and where I'm going. How is God's question? How God takes care of? You and I ask what? People of faith ask what? God, what's my next step? God, what is it going to take? What what is it going to take for me to trust you more? What step do I need to take to trust God more? What? is on us. How's on him? So you walk this journey towards peace step by step. It's one step of obedience and trust at a time. You also have to walk it steadily. Okay? If this realm of God, as Archbishop, you know, Anthony Bloom says, is dangerous and it's unpredictable and it's wild sometimes, then we need somebody to steady us. And oftentimes you or I will try to walk this faith journey just solo just on our own, without any steadying. And what Paul's trying to get the Jews and Gentiles to understand is like, guys, if you can't come together as brothers and sisters, you will not experience peace in your life, and the Roman Empire certainly will never see the outcome of it. You need other people to help steady you. You want to have peace in your life. You want to experience the real peace of of our Heavenly Father in your life then you walk with other people this journey of faith. Steadily. Someone to steady you. We also have to walk it repetitively. We have to walk this journey repetitively. Disciplines that you and I build into our life that help us see more clearly, that help us trust more deeply. Will there be setbacks? Yeah. But repetitive is a problem for the modern Christians, especially in the Western world. Because church is a thing that's once every four to six weeks on average. Bible study's hard. Prayer's difficult. You've got to walk it repetitively. There have to be repeated disciplines in your life where God can begin to speak to you the peace that you so desperately want. Walking with Jesus is unclear sometimes. It's unclear. It's uncertain. There's twists. There's turns. That's been your story all along. But isn't it possible that since your life intersected with God's story, that he wants to do something in you that changes that experience. Will there be uncertainties? Yes, of course. Will there be conflict? Yes, conflict will always be a part of it. But for the people of God, we, we don't need to run from conflict. We accept it and know that our Heavenly Father is somehow going to work peace through that. He always has been promising that the pieces of our story have been leading to peace. That's what he's telling the Jewish Christians in Romans chapter 9. You think you know your story, 
but you don't know your story. God's been leading you someplace else. Look, look, look at what he says. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 30. He says, what does all of this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were the ones that were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. Israel stumbled over the rock because they didn't see their story through the lens in which God wanted them to see it. And we don't want the same thing to happen for us. Israel failed to experience the peace of God in their lives and be the conduit of peace to the world. But that's where Jesus stepped in. And Paul's saying that Jesus did not fail. In fact, he's been the plan all along. I have been leading each of you, God says, through your story to experience peace with Jesus. Just another surprising turn in the way that God works. Person to person, one surprising event after another, all the while leading us to peace with our Savior. God's unpredictable. He's dangerous. We don't know the when, the why, or the how, but we do know the what. And that is that he's not finished with us. That he's faithful. And he is leading you and me to ever-increasing places of peace. So this is what I want us to do in our reflection time. I want us, I, I want, I'm just going to invite you to pray. The band will pl- play for, you know, just a minute. It'll feel like an eternity, but <laughs> it'll be okay. All right. I want just you, you to, to say a couple things to God. Ask a couple things of him. Just interact with him in whatever way you're comfortable. But I, want you, I want us to know that God is not finished with us. That our story is nowhere even near over in the peace that God wants to build into your life. For some of you, I want to invite you to trust him for the first time. Put your trust in Jesus for the first time. It's his mercy and it's his love through Jesus that saves you. And if you've never put that trust in him and surrendered to baptism, next Sunday we're going to, surrender, we're going to celebrate baptisms here. Then I want you to just, maybe you could just indicate that on your connection card and have someone contact you this week and we will do that. For the rest of us, would you, would you do this as you pray for this next moment? Determine to walk with God. Enter into the unpredictability of the relationship with your Heavenly Father. And ask Him to reveal the places of peace that He's just waiting to pour into your life. Would you enter into that today? It's wild, and it's so, so good. Let me pray with you to get started. Father, we want your peace. We need your peace. Thank you for your peace.